0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the podcast. Welcome back to a world where Manchester United are playing like they're a team under Sir Alex Ferguson. Um, God knows what's happening at Valencia and Rion one way or another. Um, I, I, I don't really know what to make of what's going on in the football world. Uh, that, there's, no, there's nothing much more else to say. Um, and oh, and Qatari funds are buying uh, European-based clubs again because uh, that's to that's due. So anyway, hello, <laughs> good to, good to chat. Um, I'm coming off the back of having walked a dog uh, for a friend of ours or a friend of mine that I'm uh, dog sitting for twice today, cause I'm working from home and I was just telling Rian offline before we get to all the football stuff, um, having a dog is hard. It's very hard work. Um, I know I was just kind of like speaking the obvious, but it's harder than, uh, than most people probably envision. so that's my that's my adulting two cents for the day
1: it it, for everything that i hear about it sounds like uh i don't know i don't think we ever did this in our high school but those projects where they take where you uh, you see on tv at least where someone has like an egg or a flower or whatever and 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 they I don't know if, I have no idea. Someone needs to let me know if, if you watch any TV shows that have, that involve high school children anymore. But like the ones that they used to have a lot of episodes or everyone used to have at least one episode where the characters are taking care of some inanimate object for a week as part of like sex ed or something or, or home, home ec or whatever it is. Having a dog sounds like the worst, like that on steroids. It just like, Oh, just a way worse version of it, which I guess is like also what having an actual child is like, but <laughs> yeah, except for it's, that, that it's is too close. <laughs> it's too close to, it, to like the responsibilities are too close to what having an actual child is like, like there's too too much overlap for me. So <laughs> <laughs> especially as, as like a one person taking care of it, living on, living on your own. One one person is the hard
0: part. Um, basically, what I'm hearing you say, though, is that taking care of a rock from a sex ed class in high school is the equivalent of taking care of a child on your own. That's well, no, me. as I specifically
1: <laughs> said, it's, it's on steroids. So yeah, like, you're, just, you're picking words. Uh, that's correct. okay. That's,
0: that's, <laughs> that's okay. Oh, we're off to a great start. Um, yeah, if you guys weren't aware, Rion hates me um no i kid but uh he is not kidding though but anyway yeah having a dog is hard it the long story short and having a pet in general is hard like especially in a city it's it's very difficult and people may tell you that but in practice it's so much different um but in the midst of all of that ryan and i we i saw you on what saturday right we hung out some we did we hang out twice this weekend Oh, I saw you on Thursday. That's um, trying to, I'm like trying to yeah, try, yeah. track everything back. Um, <laughs> so, what I'm trying to say ultimately is, I get to see Rion now a little bit more often. Not to say that we didn't ever
1: see each other, but
0: I feel like between like, I mean, you're the, the one summer, who's usually
1: gone. Realistically. So. True. That is, <laughs> That's, that is normally
0: damn. how it goes. <laughs> you want you want to not take shots. You want to you want to give me one. Have me just let let me have one.
1: Um, oh, no, no. It's, I, I'm happy <laughs> that you feel, that you feel this this joy that you realize that you're now around for us to hang out. But but to be yeah. fair, you're you're the one who's been in control of most of it of of the actual being here. <laughs> So the League. Really-
0: <laughs> no, Ryan's entirely right. Like there's like no BS, he's a hundred percent right. Usually to me that's Yeah, no, the I way. can't live
1: like you. We can't all live like you, unfortunately. Jetting off to uh, Mexico uh as I fi- as you finish up your fiscal year.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was very fun. Um yeah. So anyway, I get to see Rion more often. I can't, I can't be happy about that. I can't be happy about seeing you more often, our friends more often. Yeah. I'm going to gaslight you. So you just hate it. <laughs> That's what this podcast is about at this point. Anyway, um, we had a conversation at some point about turning this into a lifestyle podcast. Maybe we should re-entertain that idea. Um, I need to move on to footballing things before Rion yells at me for time. All right. Let's talk about the Premier League, and then we'll talk about La after a quick break. There's a lot to get through, and I know I say this every week, but specifically this week in the context of European games, right, and not just the Premier League going on. So there's a lot going on. We're going to get uh, through all of it as much as we possibly can, but where I want to start specifically, Rion, is with the title race or the semblance of a title race of course Arsenal beating Villa this past weekend an absolutely thrilling 4-2 win City drawing against a Nottingham Forest team that has started to look progressively better um I think month over month since the season has started and I think the January transfer window was huge for them in that context but let's start with Arsenal let's start with the team that specifically looked like they were potentially down and out they were down twice in this game but Arsenal in a completely different turn of events from previous seasons have a wonderful record record this season from, uh, winning games, or at least getting points from games in which they were losing. They've done that in all, but one. So tell me what you thought about this arsenal performance was this significant for you, or was this just potentially another game that, you know, they, they won.
1: Yeah. I, I think that. This game itself, like the the pattern of play was like not um, anything new that I felt that we felt that we've seen from from Arsenal this season. And that's kind of what's one of the most impressive things about it is that like this game felt a bit like the Manchester United game from a few weeks ago, where you know, they the scoreline wasn't reflecting the actual like dominance that they were showing in the game in, in terms of like how well they were actually playing. Uh, and, and in the United game, they end up getting that winner very, very late on. Uh, and then in this one, they also get that winner very, very late on. In both of those games, there's a, like, the slice bit of element of, of luck where, like, the chance finally goes through for them, even though, like, the, especially the second halves of both of those games, but second half against Velo, where it was very controlled and, shot after shot, like attack after attack was coming. And it was really impressive that they were able to come to, I don't want to say like easily come back. Cause obviously it was, it was difficult to finally get the breakthrough. Like they they needed the ball to bounce off the back of every Martinez's head for the to actually go across the line for that third goal. Right. Did
0: did that officially count as an own goal by the way? Yeah.
1: It's an own goal. I mean, it's not, it doesn't even count as a shot on target for Jorginho, which uh because it hits the post or the crossbar crossbar. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that, that that's from a team standpoint, like that is the most impressive thing, especially coming off of that, the loss to city on Wednesday, which I you know we, we hadn't gotten to talk about yet, but that a game where really they lost because of like a couple, or one huge individual mistake at the, in the first half. And then, um, second half obviously the i think city the, the switch with bernardo going up to right wing made it much more difficult for arsenal to play out and they made a couple more mistakes out in possession and and city really capitalized on them but it wasn't a game overall that arsenal played poorly and and a game where they dominated city like possession-wise and I'll talk a bit about the pos- the possession stats <clears throat> when we get to city later but it was just really really impressive uh from a team point of view that They went through like a few difficult results um in games where one or two of them they probably could have won depending on just like some luck and then also like you know those mostly were a couple games where they actually didn't play to their best level right and and one of the first times where we saw it happen consistently over a few games but i feel like these last two performances even though they only got one win out of the last two games I was still really impressed with how that forms kind of carried over from city to the villa game
0: that's a that's a really good point actually and i guess one of the things that i'm curious about from your perspective is from from the arsenal standpoint right having been down in i guess almost not a majority of this game but like good portions of this game um I look at Arsenal's squad and I look at Manchester city squad, and we kind of think that city have a much deeper squad. They have a much more talented squad just because of that depth almost. Um, Do you feel like that was sort of tested in the last couple of weeks? Cause we talked a little bit, or you mentioned a little bit about Bernardo making that change uh, in the Arsenal game, Arsenal Man City game. Whereas I think about it from Arsenal standpoint, like, the lack of thomas Partey being in their last two games specifically has been i feel like such a monumental difference for them like you can truly see the lack of control it, it, I,
1: it I i honestly i just sorry to cut cut you off no, no, I, go, go. I, I, one of the things i wanted to talk about was uh was jorginho and i think that there, I don't think there has been a drop off. Like you, could, I think maybe okay. there's some defense, some air, some uh defensively, some aspects. I I I agree um that they are missing Partey. Uh, I do kind of look back. Th- at those are those are the aspects
0: like to your point that yeah are, are hurting them the most right now, and that's that's kind of what right. I was getting at.
1: Yeah, yeah, know no, definitely, definitely, because like I I do think in this Villa game the. I don't think that the, um, I think it was the second goal. The second goal was was more. Con- the second Villa goal was more was like probably the most concerning of the three goals that Arsenal or, or five goals that they've conceded in the last two games because that was like structurally like Villa just played through them very easily. Um, that, that could have been an area where where Partey could have been more of a factor. Um, may, maybe on the. I can't think of any of the city goals where he could have been much of a factor, but potentially on the I want to say second city goal, which was uh Grealish's, where it was a bit more of a transition moment that was created by uh, by Arsenal's own turnover, but um, could have been he an area a tr- where a
0: transition moment out wide, not necessarily an area that he would yeah, in. And, yeah. the
1: ball ends up but the ball ends up coming back into the middle, obviously like going across the box to Grealish, but uh, I, I th- think that. Ultimately, like the goals that they've conceded in the last couple of games where Jorginho has had to start, uh, haven't been gay, haven't been necessarily down to, uh, the lack of Partey. Outside of that one, the, the Aston Villa, the second Aston Villa goal is where I think maybe Partey would have been more of a, uh, of a factor. But I, I was going to say from, from the attacking point of view, and this is kind of the value proposition of getting, of going out and just making that deal for, Jorginho, even though he was on like with six months left of his, of his contract. So over these two games against City and, and Villa, like Jorginho's led the team in progressive passes and passes into the penalty area and passes into the final third. And, and like one of the things that just kept being so prevalent in that Villa game is the amount of times that from like a deep, his deep lying state where is like kind of honestly like closer to the to the last line of defense with the ball he played it between one or two lines into Odegaard who was always like pretty much in between the second to last line of defense and the last line of defense and usually in between like the fullback and the center back and the amount of times that Dorino hit that pass quickly and with pace and allowed Odegaard to almost always be able to turn and then running at the Villa defense and they were able to create either a shot or a corner out of it that is where I feel like there's been no drop off at all from from Partey and and that's kind of why you have Jorginho or why you go and get Jorginho especially for that Villa game where they knew they were going to dominate possession but then even in the City game they dominated possession And, and Jorginho I thought was really impressive that day as well, and so I, I think that that there are some aspects of Tarte that they're missing right now, but I don't think it's been. I don't think the drop of drop off in the defensive aspect has been significant enough to to give Arsenal any are so concerns. Real, like major concerns at least, right? That's now, fair. I, f- I
0: feel like what you're saying is like
1: because. Sorry, I'll, I'll, this is the last thing. Like yeah, so yeah, yeah. things have changed. With, with Jorginho because one of the, the aspects that were making it so difficult for Chelsea to keep for, for, uh, Chelsea's defense to be stable with him it, in it, right? is because he was playing so many of the games and and Chelsea didn't have another player <laughs> that could really play that position. Whereas Arsenal do. They have, they have two players. Once Partey is back, this is like a really good, I think, um, almost rotation of, of, of defensive midfielders.
0: Yeah. And and the only thing I was going to say is what I feel like you're saying is like the the pros of having Jorginho on the field, right? In absence of Partey certainly outweigh any sort of defensive deficiencies. I guess football is a sport where those type of footballing or defensive mistakes just shine so much louder than the actual attacking output of, of what you might see from Odegaard, what you might see from Jorginho himself, right? And those mistakes are just... In, in biases in our head that I think um that allow us to think that way. So super, yeah. super valid
1: point. No, you're, you're, but you're hitting on a great, like that, that is the crux of almost every conversation, the discourse around this sport in general, right? Because scoring a goal is so hard and we know two things. Scoring a goal is really hard and that a goal being scored, like the whether it's the first, second, third goal, whatever, the goal completely changes the way that the two teams play. That's those are two things that we know about this sport. So like, when there is a mistake, like, yeah, that's going to affect the game more. You're right. You're, that's like Jorginho not being in position for to cut out a cutback that Coutinho ends up scoring on. is has more of a fa- more of a, um, more of an impact on the actual scoreline of the game than Jorginho playing five straight perfect line breaking passes to Odegaard that, that that allows him to turn and run at the defense. Right. But it, that that's, that's always the like hardest part with evaluating like teams, players like in this world. That's why it's so it's silly. Super hard. Yeah. Yeah.
0: A hundred percent. 100%. 100%. Um, I <laughs> I love that. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about Manchester city, right? Coming off obviously a win against Arsenal and now they draw against forest. um. This this game I felt, and, and I watched the majority of the the city game this past weekend. This game really felt like the definition of "it's not over until it's over." And there were so many times where, not actually, there were so few times in which Forest had good chances, but those those chances were very good. And City were caught out in transition a couple of times, committing players forward in wide areas through the middle everywhere. And, and uh, personally, look, when this transfer went through in Renan Luddy going from Atletico to Madrid to Nottingham Forest, I was very confused. I think I told you about this. He seems to be solidifying a strong starting spot slash playing up to his potential that I guess we kind of hoped and would have seen at Atletico. I thought he was fantastic in this game. And I thought in general... Forest suffered because that's what you do against Manchester City. They're a very good team, but they took their chances when they were, when they were given it and City were just sloppy at the end of the day. I actually think this is that simple.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, it, you know, the funny thing for me, like the thing about this game and <clears throat> City's game against Arsenal is that <laughs> I feel like in an alternate universe, if they play those two games, exact same performances as they did, like eight times out of ten, they're drawing, maybe even losing that game to Arsenal and winning this game against Nine and Forest quite easily. Like and that's that is you know to continue how ridiculous this sport is at times. That, that is like the crux of it. Like they did not finish, they didn't get the second goal, which which is something that has plagued city teams in the past, and like, usually only happen, really happens in the Champions League for them, right? But uh, they didn't get the second goal in this one. The, City, City never got that second goal. And for a team that has uh, guys who, we, as we've said, is a cyborg, basically. <laughs> it, it, he's, he's
0: ruining that chance, by the way. The one 100%, where he was six 100%. yards away. And,
1: and I'm sure he's it. even he's also very... I, mean, look, he, I think i will always be more upset about himself not finishing chances, but... The opportunity that Foden had, which feels like the third time, at least this season, where he could have squared it to, to Holland and said goes for the shot himself. Um, it's, it's ridiculous. And at least like, before I throw it back to you, to throw on top of like the ridiculousness, especially of these last two games for City against Arsenal at 37% possession, which was their lowest under Guardiola since a uh, 2-3 loss to Brighton in May of 2021. Wait, I'm sorry. Did you say three,
0: seven, 3-7? 37%
1: possession? 37% possession against Arsenal on Wednesday. That is the, also crap. the second. Also, yeah. The, yes. It's the the like I said, the low since May 2021. It's their second lowest possess, possession percentage under Pep Guardiola at Manchester City. And they're talking. We're going back to 2016 <laughs> at that point, right? They ended up totaling about 1.7 xG in that game. Erling Holland at 32 touches and three shots against Nottingham Forest. It's 72% possession, xG of about two and a half. Holland, 15 shots and 15 15 touches and two shots make it make sense. I mean, like the, the the obvious thing is they played, they played a longer, they played the ball more long and more direct against Arsenal. How much of that was Arsenal's press being so good? How much of it was cities realizing what, what had been really difficult for Arsenal defending in the last few weeks? Who knows? probably a combination of both, but (laughs) Obviously the, the the game was much different against Forrest who are sitting back and they'll have a lot of possession, but it, it there's like a dichotomy still there, right? That Holland ends up having double touches <laughs> against against um Arsenal and scores in that game as well. And and against Forrest he he's really picking on scraps. But I, but again, I i potentially I'm extrapolating too much from this. So Those are two very different um teams that they're playing against style, the game style, whatever, but it, it still just feels weird. And and all I can do is feelings for that. I hate going off of feelings, but like, it still feels weird how uninvolved um, he can be in games and to no fault of his own. I I'm also say this is no fault of his own.
0: And I, I, I certainly don't think it's his fault, but more importantly, what you said about it being two very stylistically different teams is could not be more true in this case, right? Arsenal are a very progressive, fast-flowing, high-pressing side. Forest are like basically the antonym of every single word I just said, and that's not a yeah. necessarily Forest a bad. Thing. Po-
1: Forest just needs the points, right? Like they need, yeah. they need points. They they're, they're more desperate in how they get. They don't care how they get the points, right?
0: For sure, and and inherently that's going to make you a more defensive side. It's going to to force you to stymie other teams in their buildup right and try and find areas where you can create these mismatches um but that's that's not i guess the the only thing that i'll say that strikes me as a difference between these these two games for erling holland outside of his touches and shots etc is that in the arsenal game correct me if i'm wrong but did pep play with inverted wingers again in that game i believe because i believe he did
1: more, or less, I mean, it was mares and Grealish again. Um, mm-hmm. I I thought that kind of something that as you as that you pointed out um or, around that game or right before it, like they did they did try to play it to those bit more bit more direct to those wingers in that yeah. uh, game. So they so they didn't play so much as inverted as they have in the last as I felt like at times in the last month or so. Yeah. So the difference there is.
0: Basically, everything you just said. Whereas in the Forest game, I felt like this was very much about how can we find a space in behind, right? Slotting a ball through to Phil Foden or Kevin De Bruyne, who will find Erling Holland somewhere around the penalty area for a header, for basically a pick your poison type shot. It felt like a little bit more stereotypically Manchester City in terms of their build up play. And it's just funny to me like there is no other i think perfect explanation other than one game in which they probably could have lost is the game that they won and the game that they did not get all three points is the game that they definitely looked like they could have um yeah that's just football i i I don't think there is look we could spend 10 minutes 15 minutes going through it and and, and like an in-depth in-depth analysis with charts but we can't visualize all that (laughs) in a podcast so Yeah. yeah
1: And 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 look, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna sound like a broken record about about this probably for the rest of the season, but like at some level, you need some luck. You need luck. <laughs> you need. If, I, if only it was as easy as just wanting it more, right? Like like if only it was that easy. If I just had to be had to show desire and passion, and that's that's how I get the three points at the end of the day. There's Man, no that would be cool. If there's it was no that aggression. Easy. Yeah, yeah, just <laughs> but, like. that. You know, sometimes you're you're huffing and puffing on the door for eighty five minutes, and then and then you know a couple guys lose their markers. Um, you, you don't defend like a um a build up play well enough, and the and the other team just scores from the from one of the four shots they have the entire game. Like it's uh yeah, I mean you have to finding that second goal is. Like everything's just about reducing the variance right and and that's what getting multiple goals in a game and and being you know um not to go after Photon again but like having that awareness at the time and place that what's most important is to to build that lead rather than um you know just he, he made a bad decision so i'm not going to get on get too much on him about it but yeah they got they got to be more clinical That's, it's, that's all it is like in that, in that, in that particular situation. For sure. For sure.
0: Well, Rian, let's move on and away from the title race, although it's quickly potentially becoming an interesting race, especially between city and United. United now on 49 points, city on 52. United played one of their best games. Let me specify their best halves of the season especially in that second half against Leicester at home at Old Trafford. They racked up 4.5 XG, which is the highest that any team the Prem has managed all season. Rashford has now scored 24 goals in 36 appearances across all competitions. That's his highest record ever. And we're not even at the end of February, which is incredible to watch. Um, And I can give you all the stats about him, which I very much will in a second. But is there anything specifically that impressed you about United or about Rashford or anything else.
1: No, I think, I think you kind of hit on it. That second half was, was really, really good for them. I, and carrying on from what I thought was a really good second half against Barcelona on, on Thursday, I know we're going to talk about that game later, but um, just really impressive second half. Again, they outshot Leicester 18 to eight in that, in that second half, especially I mean, think about the first half, Lester could have scored (laughs) at least probably twice, um, before United did, but De Gea came up with two great saves. Uh, and it shows you that his quality, the quality of his shot stopping quality is still there. Like that, that's never really left. It's kind of the other parts of the goalkeeping, of goalkeeping that have been inconsistent, um, in in the last few years, but just. Really impressive. Like they're, they're playing to their strengths so well right now. Cause I, I, I know I've banged on about this as well, but like this is by far, this is not the finished product of what Ten hog, how, how he wants them to play for sure. And he's definitely making compromises right now. Uh, and I think that they're kind of playing that direct, very fast attacking play because it's what suits the players on the team. And they're, it's what suits Marcus Rashford, obviously, um, perfectly well as you, as you're about to get into. And it also suits Bruno Fernandez, right? It, like the, the interesting thing of, uh, outside of uh, the most interesting thing is is playing like a defensive 10, basically. <laughs> but, but, uh, he's, the other he's doing thing... a lot
0: more running than I thought. He was like signing up for, I think he probably didn't. Yes, yeah, he up probably that. didn't expect
1: this either, <laughs> but, but it is, it's, it's keeping him on the pitch, right? Um, and, but like for the Fernandez part is really interesting to me because, uh, I, I saw someone else note on Twitter, but. We know the type of player he is. He gets the ball and the first thing he's looking for is killer pass. Where can I play the killer pass? That's the first thing he's looking for before, before keeping possession, before setting up an attack. He's like, I will set this attack up myself. How do I do it? Um, but, yeah, but the interesting thing that happens when you put him on the wing is that you involve him less in the build up and now he's not, look, well i'll do respect he's not killing your your build up to your attacks right he's getting the ball further further forward and now it's like okay this is where i want you playing those those types of passes from like when we're in the final third or close to the final third right? and um, his his, I,
0: his final third ball into strikers or into wingers is actually very good like
1: extremely, I, extremely yeah
0: you you know how i feel about him as a individual/person but as a player like that is one part of his game that's immaculate and i think the interesting part about that specifically is how that relates to Marcus Rashford's rise in form because Marcus Rashford has spent about 54ish percent of the time that he's on the field in a left wing position but the other i would say second the highest percentage of where he is is through the middle and he's carrying the ball way more now so when he does receive the ball from bruno fernandez especially compared to previous seasons he is not only carrying the ball but taking more shots on himself which takes the burden it takes the burden off of each other like if, if that makes sense so and i think he actually there i don't think there's a player in the premier league that's taking more shots following a ball carry than Mark rashford i'm like 99.9 percent
1: sure that's that's correct yeah you got you got the stat right in here too. It's, it's, um, an evolution to his game, which he, he's shown flashes of before. I know at times under old, under Solskjaer, he's devastating in the counters and, um, and usually getting on to the end of a lot of those of, of passes to score the, a lot of those goals. But now we're seeing, um, I think more of the carrying himself, as you said, and like creating those chances on his, on his own at times. Uh so I I I think like I said they're playing they're playing to their strengths and they're doing it really well um and, and I think a lot of the not mistakes but the defensive <laughs> issues that they had against Leicester will get fixed by having Casemiro back in there, having like an actual defensive midfielder in there, because um, they've they've just got about gotten away with it the last few games. They they it hasn't looked like defensively convincing at all, right? But um, but yeah, they, they're opposite of of City against fours. Like they've been really really uh, clinical, and specifically Marcus Rashford has
0: one hundred percent. I'll uh... I'll move on. We can talk a little bit about the Everton Leeds game, which I just briefly want to touch on because that was probably Everton's biggest result of the season, or not maybe not their their last game may have, but may have been bigger. But Arsenal,
1: um, yeah, the Arsenal. Uh, I
0: guess, yeah, yeah, against Arsenal. Um, Everton beating out Leeds one nil. Um, Tyler Adams getting into a bit of a scruff as well, but we uh, we move past that. I just wanted to generally get your thoughts on. How you feel our our friend Sean is doing in uh in his new job i I've tried to do a little bit of research on kind of his philosophy a little bit more about um how he's coached before like at Burnley, for example, but i still I'm still t- gathering my my notes generally, so before I say something I regret <laughs> more so just wanted to <laughs> to hear what you had to say
1: Yeah, no I, I think look, first three games were Arsenal, Liverpool, Leeds. They would have come out of, they would have gone into those three saying that in the least, um, we got to get three against Leeds. Like they end up coming out of that stretch with six points and three of those against the team, against Leeds, who's a team who's also fighting relegation. And I think that uh, that's probably about as, that is, probably what they would have thought was best case scenario in, in that stretch. <clears throat> and they, they fully outplayed Arsenal and they fully outplayed Leeds in those two wins. Those, those weren't like scruffy. They weren't like scruffy. Uh, we were holding on and we ended up winning the game. Um, granted, they were both one nil wins, but there were both games in which they played better than the opposition. And um, yes, they got kind of torn apart about by uh, Liverpool, but, I think like signs are pointing pointing in the right direction, so um, yeah, I think it's really encouraging whenever you see that. Especially because they they had a better XG total in those two wins as well like, than um, Leeds and than Arsenal. So it's it's g- good signs, like positive signs. It's only three games, but it's positive signs.
0: Yeah, one hundred percent. To be fair, I do have to play devil's advocate and say positive signs from Frank Lampard is not an extremely high bar. Um, but granted, it's on Dice.
1: Oh, Oh, from, from Oh, I from, see. I see. Compared. compared. <laughs>
0: yes. It's all relative. It's all relative. <laughs> um, but yes, I, 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 completely agree. And I think what is interesting for me is I think back to who did Everton play last weekend? Um, I'm blanking. They on
1: played that. Liverpool on Monday,
0: but yes, thank you. They played. that's why it was a weird game. Um, I personally am a fan of what I, will leave is Everton going with like a midfield five uh almost it's kind of hard to tell between awobe and McNeil and, and I guess they're kind of playing winger positions but they track back quite frequently um I I'm very curious to see what type of role Damari Gray has in this team going forward because I feel like under Frank Lampard he was not a mainstay in the starting 11, but he certainly had a more active presence. I believe in the last two games, he has not started. Correct me if I'm wrong. That's that's, the Liverpool game on a Monday is starting me off, but um, I'm just more curious because you have Idrissa Gaya, you have um, Onana, right? And Mm -hmm. to I think that's basically their midfield three outside of their wingers. Um, Where does Damari Gray kind of fit into all of that?
1: Yeah. You know, he's look, he's not uh as renowned for his defensive capabilities. Um but it is something that he's that we know he's gonna need. Like right now it's been Awobi and McNeil playing the wings, which yep. uh uh, you know, it's it, i honestly thought that Awobi had played so well to get into um nothing he've mm-hmm. been playing he's been playing so well at center at center mid all season so uh yeah it's it's unfortunate that he that he's having to be put out to play on the wing again but that's pretty much gonna be be probably the starting wingers <clears throat> is McNeil and um and it be McNeil who obviously played for Dyche at Burnley so he he has a good idea of what the defensive yeah. capabilities are there and and be being a more natural center midfielder, obviously he has got the defensive awareness as well. So it's it's all about just being for Dyche, it's all about controlling the final third, your own final third, and then those two guys give him a better chance more most likely than Damari Gray does. And um and I like Damari Gray as well, but if, if you're can only not gonna play f- eleven. Yeah, if you're not gonna fit into what <laughs> to what uh, how dice wants a team to play which I, which I don't think he necessarily does in, in in the defensive parts of it uh then it's it's going to be tough to make the to make the team
0: yep fair enough fair enough well moving on to other talented uh important players uh, semi important players i guess um liverpool did beat newcastle this past weekend in a game quite honestly that newcastle had their chances like multiple chances to to get back into this game as well um, what did you make of this game specifically and before we move on to disappointments to take a break? I, we were talking about this a little bit before we started recording and you put in our notes specifically that Newcastle's only scored three goals in their last seven Premier League games, which obviously is factual. I can't take anything away from that. But at the same time, it's not like this team has not had chances. And maybe in this Liverpool game specifically, there there is specific individual that really stood out to a lot of people.
1: Uh yeah, well, are you
0: talking about from the Liverpool or the Newcastle side? Quite honestly, I'm talking about both. But let's let's start <laughs> wherever you would like to start. I was trying to best tee you up. It did not work.
1: <laughs> uh, well, I I was the person I was thinking of from the Newcastle side was Nick Pope. That's the player that stood out for me, <laughs> considering that he, that he well, the, well, had the funniest, the funniest, yeah, the funniest red card I've seen in a long while. Uh, <laughs> but I, I, I actually think like he just forgot. He 100% forgot. He one hundred. he also, he does, he did that thing that, that I think I've only seen like, uh, Trevor Chalaba on, on, uh, Chelsea do where they try to like, <laughs> they try to almost, um, half volley a header or a ball that's like at your foot like diving towards your feet and you're jumping downwards for whatever reason to head it away uh, and for nick pope it, he ended up forgetting where the hell he was when he did that and and tries to grab the ball with his hands uh yep the, the, the liverpool player that i was thinking of um uh, was stefan bajsadich who's the 18 year old uh Spanish Serbian but plays for Spain's youth national teams uh midfielder who's stepped in basically for James Milner for the rotating cast of um center midfielders not named Fabinho or Jordan Henderson really (laughs) like it's been a rotating cast of them and sometimes Henderson has even been replaced right but uh Bajic has, in the last few week, last week or two, I should say, has become one of Liverpool's most important players in terms of like what he gives to them. Um, not just from the attacking side, which I think he has been really good. He had a, just this beautiful turn this past weekend against uh, Newcastle, which led to the second go- um Liverpool goal, which I think was Darwin's, the Darwin or or Gakpo's goal. Gakpo's, I think, yeah, yeah. Um, I think he's been really impressive on the ball, and that's great too. But that's not that's hasn't been the issue for Liverpool all season. That the issue has been the defensive side. And what I think would be encouraging for them is across the Everton and Newcastle games, he had more tackles and interceptions than Henderson and Fabinho, who who he started with in each of those games. So having a guy who can like who already's in the team that can help with the high pressing and the overall like, defensive mishaps that have been plaguing this team for the entire season. Uh, that's great. Uh, the, the interesting thing will, will be, I, I'm unsure if you can rely on an 18 year old for the, for a whole half season. And that would be unfair as well, especially since he, he really only started um, playing significant minutes for the team in the last two or three months. So um I don't know if it's like the ultimate fix for the entire season, but like, that's a huge, like first step to getting this back on track, track, which I feel like they've started to do since he's come in. I
0: completely agree. And what I'm curious about, as I've talked about before here, is not just what sort of role a lot of Liverpool's young players have in this team, Harvey Elliott, almost starting that trend from what, almost a year ago now, I'm more curious about what Liverpool do in the summer rather than what happens between now and the end of the season. Because yes, of course there's been talk about will like will will the club be sold? Likely not, but more so how do you get rid of dead weight? Like this is a problem across, I think, multiple top teams in Europe. And Liverpool, I think, are next in that sort of list to go through and get rid of some of those older players that don't have as much of a a role in the team or get rid of players that are not performing and in the same way that they brought in Cody Gakpo which at the time I still think was maybe not the best way to spend their money um who do you, who else do you bring in that is going to essentially rebuild you a 2018 a 2019esque squad um because I think that's where Liverpool are are at right now. They're a couple of pieces away from becoming a very strong team again. So don't like throw that out or discount it. I'm just, that's where I'm
1: putting my focus for, for this team. Yeah. And look, we don't know, we know that getting champions league football is also quite important to the way they run their model too. Right. So, so it's going to be important for them to find a way to fix this for the rest of the season as well. and, and that's you know, a but, very good point. <laughs> <laughs> like maybe, maybe, uh, maybe they get enough healthy games from like a combination of Keita Milner and maybe Oxley Chamberlain, I guess, or and, and Ti- sorry, Tiago, Tiago would be the third yeah. one there. Like maybe they get enough healthy games between the three of them plus Badgett to <laughs> patchwork the rest of this season. That's, that's exactly what, like, the, the word I was, was going to use. that's that's basically it they have they they have an 18 year old and then four midfielders who have terrible health and injury records (laughs) so it's uh it's, it's it's still difficult i i still think they i think they've got a great chance to they've got a good chance as good a chance i feel like as tottenham or brighton or potentially no i'm not gonna say newcastle yet but like i think those other teams are still like slightly below newcastle right now but have a great chance of, of taking that fourth spot from Newcastle, which brings me on to our first disappointment. Um, is, and this one will be quick because I feel like that the Chelsea one's gonna, is, probably <laughs> gonna be a little longer, but Newcastle is just more their attack has sputtered recently. Um, last seven games, as you noted, three goals. That's it. Um, and in those games, like one win, five draws, one loss. So they're just dropping they're losing ground that, that they previously had. Uh, and this all comes around the same time as those cup, as the league cup final comes around here. And then obviously they've had league cup games in the last few weeks. And so, yeah, one of the things you think about is how much has that played into the um, performances, whether it's, you know, a combination of, being more tired they're playing they're they're, whenever they play a midweek game they're already playing like what for 30 to 50 percent more games than they usually play in a week so like it's it's that's gonna have some effect and then of of course um everyone wants to play in a final uh unfortunately nick pope will not be after his red card which is unfortunate but uh yeah their their attack has started to sputter a bit uh and it's not like they're not creating the chances as you said About one and a half xG per game in those in in that seven game stretch, which is about like top six, top seven type of um, xG performance. So that that's kind of that they're not being as clinical. And and we're going back. I feel like fourth time said that word today. But uh, for Newcastle, it matters more because we still don't think that they have their attackers talented as they might be they don't have a track record of being like these uh, like unbelievable finishers and like ruthless attackers. Right. So consistency is hard. More. Yeah. 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 And, and the one thing that
0: ah, come the end of the season, I know I'm going to beat this like a dead horse already, but if Alexander Isak had not been injured and so in and out of the team, I truly wonder if Newcastle will be in a position where they have only scored seven goals or three goals in, in the last seven games that that question is going to stick with me certainly through the end of the season and especially like if they don't end up making top four which right now i think we probably both argue they are not in the favorites to yeah finish it's, top like,
1: four. it's probably yeah it, it's they went from a position where i would have felt where they probably were i don't know more than 50 percent chance to now it's they're probably about neck and neck with anyone with everyone else in that fourth to seventh area. Like any any one of them probably have at least as good a chance as Newcastle now. For sure. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. Um are you ready to move on to
0: the other disappointment <laughs> of the evening?
1: Yeah. I'll try to be somewhat quick on the on this one too, because we've got to go to a break and, and get to La Liga. <laughs> but uh Elliot, so you put Chelsea down in here and and you have a couple stats here and and I, I I'll I'll let you kind of go speak about the more like detailed stuff. And then, yeah, I, I'm going to get from my like Chelsea point, like Chelsea supporting point of view. Just (laughs) I'll, I'll give kind of like my overall feelings right now. Uh,
0: (laughs) You start first. No, I'm happy to. I'll just, uh, I'll quote what you said earlier in the podcast where you said, uh, I hate going off feelings. I know of course you only men in football in context, but that's exactly what we're going to do. In, uh, in a fan context. Yeah, look, the first thing that I'll say is if you're a Chelsea fan, like yourself, Rion, and you're looking at Grand Potter's record and thinking Grand Potter is the problem, you could not be further from the truth. And I think there are a lot of Chelsea fans that probably feel that way. So we'll start there. Since the beginning of this fiscal year, Chelsea are actually second based on understats. Um, wait, wait,
1: year. fiscal or calendar? What did I say? Fiscal.
0: God, the work is, like, <laughs> merging with everything. Did I actually wow. say that? Okay. I meant. <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. Hey, man. ABC,
1: <laughs> dude, ABC. All is on his mind.
0: I know. Okay, let's start that over. Since the beginning of the calendar year, which is January 1st, 2023, Chelsea are second in expected points per game. So they have basically been playing – like a top four team in terms of what they should be doing. Of course, that's not reality. They've pl- <laughs> they've played the joint highest number of games in in terms of games played across um, top five European teams. So basically, think of most of the top teams in the Premier League. But they're running seven points below their expected points average, which would actually put them ahead of Fulham had they basically gotten the expected number of points that they um, they should. Which would put them in a relatively stronger position, and no one would probably be having this type of conversation. So, Ryan, I always think to myself, "Well, what's the issue? Why? Like, why is this happening?" And I think the biggest thing that I think of when I when I see this team is they just don't have enough players and quality yet, combined with the pieces of this team that they probably like. Grandpa no longer wants. Like, I think it's that. That's straightforward now. Of course, you could point to the January transfer window and say they spent over 350 million pounds, euros, wherever it is, to bring in half of Europe, apparently. Um, and and all those players were improvements, right? I think we are both very high on menzo Enzo Fernandez train. I think we all also rate Murdick M- M- Mudrick, oh my goodness, um, <laughs> relatively highly. But I think the problem is the foundation, the structure of what this team or what Potter wants his team to look like is just not there yet. And that genuinely just requires time, Um, which unfortunately is not something he necessarily has, but it does, it does certainly require time. Look, I don't have all of the answers, but I'll give it to you to tell me, just tell me how you feel. We can use this as a therapy session if you'd like.
1: Uh, I I think you've kind of touched on given a lot of like the context um, of like Behind like the the poor run, Not even just the poor run. I mean, the season didn't start off well at, anyway. Like, pre pre managerial there there, there is a reason like, why you guys not,
0: are in this position.
1: Yeah, we're not we're not going from from we were like second in the league to now ninth. <laughs> like it, it's it's not necessarily like the situation has gotten worse. Correct. Um, it, it, it's just it hasn't really gotten much better. Right, other than like you said, like with the players. So, so like to give kind of like the, some context around what's happened since Potter's been been at um, hired. Say, you know, obviously he comes in after the club had made seven new additions to the first team, like at the from the summer, right? And then he comes in, and a lot of this time, a, a lot of important players are missing. Reese James, Ben Chilwell. And Conte hasn't played a single minute since the second game of the season. <laughs> like,
0: it, actually, can I, can I just uh, for, for a second, pause you there? Because that's, that's an unbelievably important point. The number of injuries in the core of this team, I literally looked at the equivalent of like a Gantt chart of these injuries earlier and it's staggering in the, even just recently um, I, I'm going to blank on names truly. So you could even continue this list. Reese James, Chilwell, Conte. Um uh, Fofana just coming back. Um, um, I feel like I'm playing family feud or something and I've already put yeah, out names. But Pul- uh, Pulisic
1: is out for Pulisic. until March.
0: Um, someone else that probably starts with a B. Uh,
1: uh gosh. Oh, Broya. Broya towards ACL. Yeah. Yep. Um, and during, like, before they the season even started back again. That's
0: like five or six already right there. Gone.
1: Yeah. And, 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 you know, you throw in those injuries, you throw in, you know, uh, all at for a whole month, all of your best players jetted off to Qatar. (laughs) And then, and then the ones that played for more than a few weeks in Qatar then also needed like a week or two after the World Cup to before they could come back into your team. And then you add in something like six or seven signings in January, who are all now in the first team as well, also in the first team squad, uh, including one who, in Jao Felix, who was like, who has already become one of your most important attacking players, getting sent off after 60 minutes in the first game, and he had some, suspended for three games. Like, <laughs> it's, I, I think that there have been a lot of extenuating circumstances, and it isn't so easy as Oh, well, he's here. It's going to change in 4 months. The like like oh, that why is this why are we not why are we not the third best team in the league right now? <laughs> we were barely the third best team in the league last season. So, it's that is all definitely in my mind. Right? But I think the other side of it and and where there needs to be progress, there needs to be some sort of positive progress in how the team's playing uh is that you know they only put up in the first half against Southampton and in the first half against Dortmund they put up six shots against Southampton that's against the worst team in the league right now they they only put up five shots in the first half against Dortmund however the second halves of both of those games 11 shots against Southampton 16 shots against Dortmund in that second half uh and so the there's one point of me that thinks that is that something to do with you have a lot of these new players. You're obviously trying to put in some sort of way to play, uh, which disappointingly hasn't been very consistent from game to game. Uh, and, and that's why I was most disappointing about the overall performances this past week between Dortmund and Southampton. But those kind of half splits um just make me wonder if, you know, we're going into these games and whether it's a lack of, of good communication or it's just difficult when you have all these different players and, and you have to chop and change a bit for these two games. Um, so early on into a lot of these players' careers at the club, is it difficult? Like that first half where it's not quite sticking in. And then second half, it's kind of. Honed in again get a bit more and now it's and those these why these second halves have looked a lot better than um in the last couple of weeks in last week or so right that, that's that's something that's in my mind, but okay. overall, like going back to like how i how i'm feeling about like in general is that by the end of the season is really my framework of of how i'm judging Graham Potter, and i and what do you mean in the sense of between between the end of January beginning of February and to the end of the season there needs to be progress in how in discernible way that the team is playing like that's a bit lost right now and it's not been consistent game to game I I feel uh and then kind of creating chances like a, a they need to be able to create chances. and this is all stuff. Again, I'm thinking about by by the end of the season, there needs to be like real progress there. I think right now, it's really disappointing that we're, that results are not going the way that everyone wants them to go. Uh, but <laughs> sacking sacking a manager between now and the end of the season, uh, it, it, it's it'd be stupid. I, I, I'm not going to go into a whole like rant about why why it's so dumb to even like suggest it right now. But like it'd be it it'd be stupid. Um and I say that while like acknowledging if we're a month or two into next season and this still looks at best um at, at best like mediocre or 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 Inconsistent in how the team plays game to game, then I don't think I wouldn't have any troubles with like the team making a decision to move on. Right. But, um, I just don't think you're going to learn anything really about this team or the coach until he's had like, at, man, at least three quarters of a season (laughs) right? and and then, and then hopefully a full preseason and, and then we learn, okay, what is the actual direction of this team right now? Because right now we've, we've added player, we've added players that were better in certain positions, but um, that has, there's no reason that that has to all work at once. So True. Super fair. Super fair. Look, I'm,
0: Always here to talk with you once you guys eventually get knocked out by Dortmund um, in the next couple of weeks, always happy to chat yeah. <laughs> regardless of uh, a loss against Southampton or a win against United. Um, I will, I will say I, I should have double checked this while you were going through that. Um, Chelsea's upcoming schedule is not, not exactly like super kind to them um, basically between now. And I want to say like, end of April because there's the international break somewhere in between there. Um, you obviously play Dortmund, you play Brighton, you play United and you play Arsenal. So good luck with that. <laughs> that's
1: all. That's all I've got. Uh, one, one last, one last thing I'll sh- shout, got to shout out James Ward Prowse for once again, yeah. just hitting a perfect free kick. And, and, and man, like, just to give like my feelings when when that free kick first um was called and then uh, then like obviously realizing that uh, he was going to be taking it, it was just like sitting there and I couldn't have been more unmoved by a goal <laughs> happening because I was expecting it because <laughs> of course <laughs> as James Ward I'm Prowse. I'm imagining that this is going to go in and anything less than that is a win. <laughs> anything less than a goal here. I mean, obviously that's easy. That's what you say for any free kick, but I- I'm expecting a goal here. And if I get anything else, I'll be fucking ecstatic.
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure that's what most Chelsea fans also probably thought. Um, I don't know his exact free kick record, but it is actually astounding. So
1: yeah. So it's, since, since he scored his first free kick or, or maybe t- took his first free kick for Southampton. Anyway, this is going back to about 2013. He's like, f- I want to say fourth in terms of actual free kick scored, but his rate is 15% <laughs> of, of, of free kicks he's scoring, and the next best is like 9 or 10%. That's
0: outrageous. 15%? Oh, my God.
1: That is it's it looks like almost it's like pretty much every three, four games. <laughs> like if they if they were getting free kicks out like that frequently. Right. Oh my
0: god. Well, yeah, he is that good at them. Uh Ryan, we're gonna keep tabs on Chelsea, of course. Um, but with that being said, um we'll take a quick break. Honestly, I'm gonna call an Audible here. We've gone through for an hour. Ryan needs to go watch The Bachelor at some point tonight. So we're going to end the podcast now. We've gone about an hour. We'll come back. We'll talk to you about La Liga. We'll go through all the updates there, especially considering Real Madrid. Oh, last point I'll make on this. Real Madrid play Liverpool. I believe it's tomorrow, not Wednesday, um, in the Champions League, and at least at the time of recording. And United play Barcelona. Both of those games... Are being played, of course, in a like 30 mile span of each other um, at Old Trafford and, um, oh my God.
1: <laughs> what? Do, uh, Old Trafford. Said and, f- oh, 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 uh, oh, uh, Anfield. I,
0: Anfield. I almost said Fenway. Like, I was really <laughs> that, stuck on Oh that. my God. They won.
1: <laughs> they won. Fenway I Sports Group won. They got you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, God, Liverpool fans, please don't hate me for that.
0: Um, what, the question I was going to ask you is Real Madrid and Liverpool playing each other and Barcelona United playing each other in the span of about 30 miles in basically a span of about 48 hours. Is that not like the greatest matchup between two teams played next door to each other, essentially, in the span of two days? Like that's arguably two, the four yeah, biggest clubs rivals.
1: in the world. Like yeah, they're two the biggest rival of possibly the four biggest fan bases in the world <laughs> like yeah like, that's that's crazy that's crazy. yeah
0: i just i i've i've heard that on a podcast today and i was like oh my god it is that's that's actually outrageous <laughs> but anyway i digress we will talk to you guys all in a couple days of course after all those La Liga games and whatnot finish up and we'll go through all the fun stuff and uh we'll talk to you all soon
1: thanks guys